In a complex world brimming with new ambitions, the best leaders create the best workplaces. This is the Oil & Gas Digital Doers podcast, where you can hear real stories about digital capabilities and a culture of empowerment with your host, Joanne Meyer. So welcome to the Oil & Gas Global Network's Digital Doers podcast. And um, we are part of the Oil & Gas Global Network's uh, community of podcasts. And the Oil & Gas Global Network, we, we refer to it as OGGN, is the largest community of oil and ga gas podcasts in the world. And so uh, thank you for joining us here. Uh, check out some of the other podcasts. There's 13, I think, or so other podcasts, and uh, all of them uh, kind of tackle a different uh, uh, part of the industry, but um, you'll find some interesting topics there. But today, uh, you're with the Digital Doers, and I certainly want to say thank you to all of you who uh, punched all the right buttons on whatever device you're on so you could listen in today. Um, I think we have a, a topic today that's not something that uh, as a digital consumer uh, and a not very highly technical one at that, that I think about a lot. Um, I just like things to work when I hit the right buttons. But I think it's uh, folks like my guest today that uh, make all of that behind the scenes stuff actually happen and, um, and make it better. So I'm looking forward to, uh, to this conversation today. But before we get into that, let's, let's be sure and thank HPE. And HPE is the sponsor of the Digital Doers podcast. And HPE, um, you know, they have a whole kind of dedicated group or team of experienced um, oil and gas solution provide, uh, a team of those folks. So, so um, you know, if you, if you have some needs in this area, uh, be sure and reach out to them. You can find them at hpe.com. And if you go to that website, you're probably going to see that they're talking a lot these days about um, their Green Lake, uh, HPE Green Lake. And, um, you know, they, they, the tagline for that is that it's, uh, it brings the, the cloud that comes to you. So wherever your applications and your data may reside, they want you to be able to have that experience that some people might think is reserved just for the public clouds. They want to, to be sure that you understand that you can have that uh, right within your uh, own um, organization and, and you can, uh, uh, can make all of those, the accessing your applications and data much easier and smoother. So um, check out hpe.com. And then one more thing I want to bring up is in the show notes for this episode, there's going to be a link to a one-question survey, so it won't take any time at all. And if you would click on that link in the show notes and go and take that one-question, 10-second survey, I would really appreciate it. It's all about data, and so that would give us a little data, so I would appreciate it if you would do that. I think now I've covered everything, and so I want to now introduce my guest, and his name is Moti Rafalin, and he is with V-Function. And so um, I'm going to let Moti uh, do some of his own introduction here. Um, he is the CEO 
of V function. And so we're going to hear it uh, right from the top today. So welcome, Modi. Thank you, Jen. I'm very happy to be here on the podcast. So, so tell us, um, tell us a little bit about your background. Have you are are you an IT nerd, Moti? Um, no, I actually turned into an <laughs> IT nerd okay. maybe at a later later stage in my okay. career. I actually started as an aerospace engineer working on missile technologies. Wow. Um, I did that actually overseas. I, I came to the U.S. 22 years ago from Israel. Okay. And I worked on the American-Israeli anti-ballistic missile program. Wow. So I spent seven years or so, more, I think 11 years sort of in the military establishment and then decided to move the civilian one. That's when I came to the U.S., got my graduate degree in business and moved into the sort of... Um, civilian side of the world and joined emc i worked at emc corporation for many years and then started my own company in 2008 and sold it to blackberry in 2015 oh wow and then started another company which i'm excited to talk about today so Excellent. that's really a long kind of maybe too long of a bio here for for this podcast but no, but I think any time we have an opportunity to hear from a real-life rocket scientist, I think that's probably of interest. So, And so how old is V-Function? V-Function is five years old. Okay, and, okay. And it's a pretty unique company, by the way, and I'll, I'll explain why. Probably every founder you know, thinks that his or her company you know, is unique, but... I think what's unique is that we try to solve a very difficult technical problem. And when investors, VCs invest in companies, they actually prefer to invest in a market risk and not in a technology risk. Ah. Meaning that maybe the technology would work, but is there a market for it? How big is the market? Those are the questions that are sort of are unclear when you start the journey. In our case, it was very clear that the market was there. The the opportunity was there, the problem was there, but the question was, can there be a technology to solve that problem? And so let me make sure I caught that. You said that uh, on the investor side of this work, that they prefer, they prefer to take market risk rather than technology risk. Yes, that is usually the case when VCs invest in startups. Yeah, They sort of want to see that the product it can actually work. Yeah. And now they want to see, okay, can you gain traction in the market? You know, right. how many people are using it? What's the usage? And these are the questions that are that remain to be answered as the venture, right, uh, yeah. grows. Yeah. In our case, it was sort of the opposite. And so not many investors like to invest in the, in the technical question. Yeah, can it be solved? Because then it it resembles more like drug development mm-hmm. or some right. different type. It's not like a, an IT type of startup. Well, and from somebody who knows absolutely nothing about high finance and all of that, but it just strikes me also as these folks are probably brilliant business minds, but technical you know, depth and, and is not something, not that they couldn't do, um, but they they want to do perhaps they want to dig in that deep and understand. So 
I mean, it seems like to me, some of it might just be kind of an understanding. They can certainly understanding the market, right? They've got a lot of experience. So anyway, I don't know. That's just me thinking. But um, um, I, I suspect there are some real differentiation possibilities, though, that exist in that unproven technical space. Absolutely. So that's the, the other part of uh, why we're unique. We developed the technology over three and a half years without having any sales or marketing, which is kind of atypical, mm-hmm. and only launched the product last year and, and started to gain traction in the market with some of the largest banks and you know, Fortune 500 companies. So again, that the whole trajectory is, is kind of atypical. Yeah, kind of different. Yeah. So the company's five years old. So you spent maybe three and a half, four years before you actually went to market. Correct. Yeah. That probably is indicative of the technical challenge that that you face. So tell us, now that we've talked all around it, tell us what V-Function does. Yes, absolutely. So what V-Function does, it's... It's a technology, and I don't want to use you know buzzwords, but it uses machine learning to help organizations modernize their applications. And, and let me explain what I mean by that. Right. So every organization that is probably five years or more, you know, has developed, you know, or they develop their own applications. Right. So every organization has software in it, they develop their applications. These applications accumulate technical debt over time. What do I mean by technical debt? I mean that they become more and more complex, right? You you build an application and all of us know, you know, all of us have a bank account, right? So so you go to the bank, that's that's a computer, that's that's software. And all the time developers behind the scenes keep adding features, right? Keep improving that software. As that software evolves, it you know, more it accumulates more complexity. It becomes more difficult as more features are added. Finding out what's happening in that piece of software becomes more and more difficult. So that is a natural trait of every software that exists. So if you have an application that is fifteen or twenty years old, it becomes massive. It becomes difficult to deploy it. It becomes difficult to add features and functionality to that software. And so you need to modernize those applications. Okay, And what we do is, what it means to modernize them, it means to transform them into a modern architecture. And what I mean by that is breaking those large applications into smaller pieces, what's called microservices, that, are, that can communicate between them. But where the biggest value is when you break some large application into those smaller domains or smaller services is that now you can deploy each of those services separately. Mm -hmm. And that is a huge benefit. Let me explain why. Because let's say that you have a large application that has maybe 15 million lines of code. Let's say you make a small change in it. Now you need to test the entire application, right? Those 15 million lines of code. It needs to run through maybe a month, two months, or three months of test cycles before you can deploy the application. Now, if you break it into those small pieces, now you only have to test the, the, the piece that you made the changes in. 
Five so all of a sudden, five million lines of code, maybe or something. No, no, even smaller, Jen. Oh. Think about a few thousand. Let's say a million, right? So you take the fifteen million lines of code and you break it into fifteen pieces of a million lines of code each. Okay. So now you only you make changes in that smaller piece. Right. Now you need to test only that small piece, yeah. right? And all of a sudden, you gain the engineering velocity that allows you to be agile and respond to the market and add features more quickly. That is the benefit of modernizing it, right? Of breaking it into those smaller pieces. Now, where we come in is that until now, the only way to do these transformations was entirely manual. There were no tools. There was no automation. And so these would be multi-million, multi-year projects with a lot of risk. Now you take the technology that we developed that really assesses the application, learns it, and then actually decomposes it into those pieces. That's what V-Function does. So hopefully, not too technical, but trying to explain sort of what we do. It didn't exist before. It accelerates the, that type of transformation and provides a lot of value to those organizations. Yeah, so, um, so you... You mentioned that a, a company, an organization, has some kind of legacy application that they've had for a while. And it has, over time, like you said, it's evolved as probably customs, customers or clients have pulled and said, well, I wanted to do this now and something else. And maybe there's other behind the scenes reasons other than just what the customers might want. Mm-hmm. Um but what I would say, and so it gets very complex over time. I, I get that. And I would add, most companies don't have just one legacy application. Yeah, they have a lot of those. And so now it's it's, it's a monster, huh? I mean, it's... Correct. So, so now you're talking, you know, some of the largest, you know, let's say oil and gas companies. I'm sure they have hundreds, if not thousands of these applications that is the reality so so they're sitting on all these applications they become older releasing release cycles keep expanding yeah they take longer they can't compete with you know new entrants let's say that that have newer application stacks so there's a real pain here yeah they have they have and they have less debt as you referred to it, they have less technical debt to deal with. Um, one of way back in April, I started uh, hosting the podcast back in April, and back in April, I had a gentleman um, on with me, and his name was Bob Palermo. And Bob and I worked together in oil and gas many years ago. Um, but Bob refers to these. He went on to uh, when he uh, he left. He eventually went to Shell and was there. Um, their vice president of um, uh, enterprise architecture and improvement. And, uh, you know, he refers to, I think, what you are talking about with this complexity around uh, applications, within applications, and then between all the applications, he refers to that as a hairball of IT systems. (laughs) Um, And I think that's kind of what you're describing. Absolutely. And there's another term also that people use, which is spaghetti. It's uh, spaghetti it's, code. Spaghetti, yeah. Is, yeah. 
So very, so let me ask you, do you think um, most companies understand their technical debt? Um, absolutely. So, but I, I'll be more specific. I think that technical debt is a little bit fuzzy term. It's uh, people don't really relate to it, but they definitely understand how it manifests itself. Okay. Right. And the way that the technical debt manifests itself is in the long test cycles and long release cycles, and the inability or inability to ramp up new developers. Think about that aspect, John. Right. Let's say you hire a new developer. And they need to start working on a 15 million lines of code application or on a 1 million lines of code application. Which one is easier for them to ramp up to, right? So that's another aspect, right? So you've got, and then simply the inability to innovate fast enough to react to the market. And lastly, the scalability challenges, right? So these applications, as they become more complex and they grow, they become less scalable, right? Um, and so these are the things or, or the way that the technical debt manifests itself, right? So all this complexity, that's how it manifests itself in all these aspects. So, and from a very practical standpoint, like myself, because I, I do get the long test times. Uh, I think this idea about, you know, how to onboard and get up to speed your new your new uh, resource, new new person, um, that those are certainly very, very concrete. Um, the other thing, so when I was in oil and gas, right, I was over on the production or the operations side. And all I knew is that my IT costs kept going up. You know, they just kept going up and I didn't like that and complained about it, right? Did all the things operations and production people do. I suspect this complexity adds to that cost. Absolutely. So all those things that I just described, of course, that translates into higher costs, right? If it takes uh, to ramp up, let's just take the developer, right? If it takes, you know, six months or a year to ramp up a developer versus a month, that translates into cost, right? Direct, that's immediately translates into the, you know, the salary of the people that are on your payroll. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it's just really a fascinating, uh, a fascinating topic. Um, you know, maybe if I may add one thing there, Adrian, in terms of technical debt, there is something nice about that definition, though, which is that it is very similar to financial debt, okay. right? Uh, and that means that if you don't pay, in, let's say, on your mortgage, if you don't pay your interest, then it compounds, right? It beca- it grows. And so, uh, first of all, there is interest, and then if you don't pay or repay, right, not not the principal, and you don't re- and you don't pay the interest, it actually grows exponentially because of the the you know the nature of the compounded interest. It's exactly the same thing with technical debt. If you don't remove the technical debt, it compounds and becomes so enormous that at some point you need to stop your operation. Yeah. And just deal with fixing your application. So you're not releasing new features. You're not doing anything. You just you come to a stop and you need to deal with that. And that's right. why you need to repay the technical debt on an ongoing basis in order not to get to that right. situation. And, you know, I think, you know, although it's, if you, you know, there is a statement that I get every month 
that gives me some indication of what I'm paying in interest, right? If I make a payment, my mortgage, I see what goes to principal and what goes to interest. I wonder, I guess I suspect that technical debt, it's not quite that transparent. You're right. And uh, this is where maybe I can put a plug into our product, which is <laughs> one aspect of our product is our assessment where you can actually do a very quick assessment and it, and it will generate a report for you with the amount of technical debt, the complexity and the risk that uh, is included in, in that application. So, yes, yeah, so we now use tools to actually try to quantify that. Yeah, great, great. And so let me even break it down just a little bit as I'm trying to understand what the AI functionality or capability allows you to do, I think, is you actually then are able to, I don't know, uh, put little uh, uh, sleuths, little detectives inside the architecture and actually record what's going on, who's going where, what they're doing, et cetera, et cetera? Absolutely. So there are two aspects to the AI. One, which is exactly what you described, that really has to do with the modernization of the application by identifying the different services in it. And that's exactly what you described. So we, we learn the application, we see the different flows, and we identify the services that can be sort of separated, right, or extracted from the application, and then they become themselves separate services. So that's one aspect of the artificial intelligence. And the other aspect goes back to what I mentioned before, which is the assessment. So based on hundreds of applications that we've assessed, technically by analyzing the code, we also interviewed the developers and tried to quantify how much of each release are you investing in the maintenance of the application versus new features? Oh, wow. Right? So think about this. We interviewed hundreds of these, and then we incorporated all of that into the model. And now when I, let's say, scan your application, and I'm able to generate a report and tell you, Joanne, for this specific application, you know, it's 70% is technical debt, meaning every dollar you invest in this application 70 cents go into the technical debt and only 30 cents go into innovation. That's how the machine learning is able to sort of analyze that. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that seems huge. Seems, uh, very important. Um, so that is that transparency to start helping. Cause like you said, every dollar that's invested is not giving you a dollar of upside. Correct. And if you can help people understand how much is and how much isn't, that certainly helps even, you know, it begins to also, um, you know, for, for years, you know, you can pick up articles and we read it in the news and everything about um, uh, uh, CEOs and C-suites, CFOs, you know, they're, they're like, well, where's my return? I gave you all of that money, right? Where's my return? And so you guys then are able to say, well, the reason that return maybe wasn't as large as you expected is because such a big piece is going, like you said, to the maintenance, not to creating that upside. Really interesting. Correct. 
Good. Fascinating. Yeah, love that. Love that. Okay. So I don't know when our uh, folks and our listeners may be listening to this, but um, um, Moti and I are having this conversation just a few days before Halloween. And so one of the things that I heard in, in reference to V function, I heard some talk about zombie codes. And since we are so close to Halloween, we got to talk about zombie codes. So what's a zombie code? Modi? Yeah, so th- that is basically a piece of code that is in there that in your application that for whatever reason is actually not functioning, not is not being used, right? As if we go back to the description of the growing complexity and you're adding more and more features, and many times you simply now as part of you know the evolution of the application, you bypass certain flows. You decide, you know what, I'm going to do it different way, and you just write, you know, let's say a new piece of code. But the old piece of code is still there. You you don't, you know, very few times people actually delete code. It stays there, and so it stays there. And for let's say now nothing touches it. It it is zombie because all of a sudden it can come back to life. In a situation that you weren't even anticipating. And anticipate, yeah. Right. And that is sort of the risk in having this type of zombie code. And so, again, if you have a very tightly managed chip that, you know, you remove the technical debt, you, you keep it modular, you do all the right things, then you avoid also having the zombie code. But every large application has some of that zombie code that, definitely introduces risk mm-hmm. in terms of also security. Maybe someone can take advantage of it in, in some flow that you didn't test or you don't know of. Um, so V-Function so, yeah. is able to identify this code that is not being used. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Absolutely. That's part of what we do. We obviously identify the services that can be extracted and we identify the flows that are not being used and we can recommend the user, the architect, the developer to automatically remove that code. And with a piece of, you know, with a click of a button, V function will also remove that code. Excellent. And so let me ask you just also, is, is V function providing a product or, or a service or both? It's a great question. It's absolutely a product. It's a technology, right? Um, of course, we need to train the developers or the architects to use it because it's a completely new concept. But absolutely, you deploy the agents that monitor the application. They send all that information to the V-Function system. The V-Function system presents all that information to the architect. There's a very rich UI that allows the architect to design the services and see the impact of those decisions. And then eventually it automates the extraction of the code. It goes and scans the original source code and copies the different parts of it to create those new services. It's absolutely a software product. Okay. Great, great, great. So it's really interesting. And so let me just ask you, you've, uh, you've, you've actually been deploying, um, I like your little agents, I like that, that terminology, but you've been deploying this for a year or so. So can you think, is there one application or one uh, situation that, that uh, kind of comes to mind when you, you know, think about something you 
the, your client learned, you know, or something that sticks out in your mind as far as one of your deployments? Look, there, each, each customer is different uh, in terms of the, the story, but they all share the same pain, which is many times they are, are helpless in terms of dealing with the problem. And so one of the things that the, one of our um, sales people said to me one day was that he sees the hope in the eyes of these clients when, when they see the technology. Like finally there is hope, like how to, to deal with this complexity. And I think that kind of stands out, make, made me feel really good about it. Yeah. Like it, it. We're not we're not selling something, let's say, security products when you sell security products it's about fear right yeah. like what you know what can happen if you don't deploy our, our technology right but what we sell is about hope which is we can really help you you know solve the, this problem that you have in your hands which is by the way which creates all this pressure on the technology side of the business or the it right you've got the business people that are sort of pushing you we need this feature in order to compete with this new startup that's that's Whatever, it. yes and and you're telling them well i can deliver this it'll take six months and and you get sort of the helpless kind of reaction and all of a sudden you can tell them ah oh, we can have it in a week yeah that wow. makes you look much better so it's interesting um you know i'm just making another connection here also, back early, probably in April, maybe May, I had a, a, a young man who uh, is probably, gosh, maybe now he's five years out of university, maybe not that much, but um, he's a petroleum engineer. And, uh, uh, but he became, he, he became a, an IT nerd uh, earlier, even before he got out of university. So he even contemplated uh, not finishing his petroleum engineering degree because he was doing so much on the technology side. But anyway, long story. So he went to work for one of the major oil and gas companies. And, uh, and he stayed there, uh, not as an engineer in the IT organization, he stayed there about a year and a half. And then he packed up and I think went to your neck of the woods because you're up in Northern California space. Is that right, Moti? Yeah, yeah, I'm in Palo Alto. Yes, Park, so he Silicon headed up Valley. there. And since then, he's been doing all kinds of stuff in high tech. So I asked him to come and talk to us a little bit about what was the differences, right? What did he see that was different in the, this? He went to work for a very large oil and gas company in their IT space. And so what was different, right? I wanted him to talk about that. And he did a very good job, I think, of talking about the fact that he thought everything on the um, kind of the the oil and gas space and those majors just happened very slowly, you know. And he said, when we, do, you know, when you deployed a new uh, platform to sit out in the middle of the uh, the ocean, uh, there's a certain risk associated with that. And I understand why you have to dot every I and cross every T, and everything has to be important. I totally get it. But he talked about the fact that he believed that same risk assessment and that, that the, the bigger companies used when they thought about their, um, their technology, their, their IT space. And he just talked about how slow it was. And so I wonder if part of the slowness comes from what, what you're talking about here, that V-Function is trying to help companies not succumb to. 
Uh, absolutely. This really goes back to when we started the company. I went to a reInvent. If you you know, that's the the largest cloud conference every year that is led by Amazon Web Services. And you know, they present there all the new features that they released every year. Okay, so it's it's a chart that is almost like a hockey stick. So they release new features in the cloud at an accelerated pace, right, every year. And so you can think of that as proxy for cloud innovation. Okay, so you've got this hockey stick, which is cloud innovation. And then you have all these enterprises, not only oil and gas, every enterprise, right? Yep. They are sitting on these large monolithic applications and it's as if there's a huge gap between these two things. There's the cloud innovation and you've got enterprise reality, which is all these applications that they need to deal with. They've got, you know, they are dealing, as you described in the oil and gas industry, that it's very risky to make changes to these things. And so how do you bridge that gap? That was the driver for what we developed because wow. we want to, Aside from accelerating these projects and reducing the cost, it's primarily reducing the risk in, in, in embarking on these projects. Yes. So absolutely, that, that is something that yeah. sort of drove us to develop the technology. But what a great, um, what a great thing that you can say uh, V-Function kind of brings hope uh, to a challenge that I guess p- perhaps it's sounds like it could, had just seemed insurmountable. You know, it's like, here we are. Now what do we do? Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Absolutely. By the way, the reason that I'm talking to you, one of the reasons is that we want people to know about this, right? I think that people don't know even that. uh, And so if we can help more organizations. Yep. That's a good thing. Better. Yeah. Yeah, at least yeah, at least get some of that hope back, that that awareness. And you mentioned in particular um, Amazon Web Services, but your product you also work with some of the other uh, cloud uh, providers. And your uh, V function is, I think you mentioned in a earlier conversation, is is agnostic to, yeah. Correct. We focus on the modernization of these applications, breaking them into those services, but then you can deploy those services on any cloud, right? So we're very deep also with HPE. I know that one of your sponsors here in this podcast, uh, but also Amazon and AWS and others. So, yeah. But if I understand from a layman standpoint, the opportunities to use technology, um, those opportunities, let's call them apps, applications that were all, they are coming very fast, right? And yet an organization, an enterprise's ability to uh, to access that and capture value for that um, is somewhat limited the more complex their architecture is, their IT. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So that is the challenge. It, it, it starts... In, it starts representing almost kind of a cost of lost opportunity too, uh, to, to, to be able to. Well, listen, um, uh, you know, uh, Moti, this has been fascinating. Uh, I, uh, I really, uh, 
really did enjoy the conversation, certainly on a topic that I didn't think a lot about, but uh, not surprised that this is going on. And, uh, you know, I think it'll be fascinating to see how, you know, how you guys continue to, you know, interact with the, all of the clients and, and give them hope. Absolutely. By the way, we are engaged with some oil and gas companies. I think one of the leading gas distributors in the UK, and, and I'm sure we can help others. Yeah, I, I would think so too. And we we have a lot of oil and gas folks. I think that listen uh, that listen to us. So uh, maybe this will be an introduction uh, for some of you. And uh, I cer- certainly uh, thank you for joining us today and, and, and uh, for all of your comments and insights. Thank you very much. And so with that, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Digital Doers podcast. Again, I'm going to remind you, if you'd please uh, take a look in the show notes and uh, fill, uh, take that one or 10 second survey for me, I would sure appreciate it. Uh, go take a look at hpe.com. And uh, once again, I'll sign off for Digital Doers on the Oil & Gas Global Network. So long. Come back next week for another venture into the real world of the best digital doers in the oil and gas industry. A production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.